she probably yes, will. Yes, I okay. will. All right. So as we are getting this going, instead of having a bit of awkward silence, we uh, we're just sort of stalling till we get the okay, so that when it starts, we're not all sort of looking there at the camera. I do see that you both have whiteboards behind you, which is very particular. So are whiteboards part of your magic? Uh, It's not actually a whiteboard. We uh, in our meeting rooms, we can actually draw all over the walls. So ah, uh, <laughs> even can, uh, better. There's usually remnants of about five different discussions all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find that the wall, the writing on the wall works? Is it a little bit more, uh, is it a little bit more startup-ish as, you know, let's just write on the wall as opposed to the board? Does it feel better? Yeah, yeah there's a, I think there's a design choice in there as well as a, a, a functional choice. Um, but <laughs> nice. yeah, it, it's quite cool. And how important is having the ability to write on walls when it comes to scaling up finance? <laughs> you, you get the, the lines going upward, right? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are now officially live and I want to welcome everybody. We're talking not only about whiteboards and, war- and writing on walls, but we're talking to these Scale Up Heroes here on the Scale Up Hero podcast. And it's where we bring the best minds with the best experience to basically show those startups who are past the startup phase, but into the scale-up phase. And today we're talking about money, 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 money. And we're going to talk, it's going to be more of a fireside chat. And we've got Noella Perdurna. I, I messed that. I had it good in the rehearsal. Say it again and I want to repeat it. What is it? Noelia Podadera. Noelia Podadera. <laughs> All right, we're close at that time. Close at that time. And then Dave, uh, Dave McKinsey, and Dave is the head of finance at Curve, and Noelia is the CFO at PacLink. Now, my name is Ryan Fullen. I'm your host. I want to encourage you to be engaged on our Facebook Live, make comments and like. And if you have any questions you want to see other Scale Up podcasts, go to scaleupacademy.io. That's scaleupacademy.io. I'm going to be a ginger fly on the wall, and I'm going to be chirping in with some comments. I'm really interested because it is all about the money. You run out of money, you run out of business. So Noelia, I will let you take it away and we can now sit on this virtual fireside chat from around the world. Thank you very much, Ryan, for this uh, nice introduction. So I'm uh, Noelia and I'm currently uh, CFO at uh, Packing Shipping and uh, previous to that, I spent uh, almost 10 or more years in a traditional conventional uh, blue chip company, Siemens, um, Germany, Spain. And after that, I mm, switched to the online e-commerce new world startup uh, in Germany, Dress for Less. It was an online retailer for um, brands, fashion, clothing. And then I came to Packling, where we have a shipping comparison website and have a um, yes, business for the B2C as well as for the B2B uh, segment. And happy to participate today in this uh, Growth Sucks Cash, that is a statement accompanying uh, almost all startups and um, would like to ask Dave to introduce himself and tell me what he thinks about this statement and um, what he would propose to deal with these tight cash situations or distressed financial situations even, and how to 
to avoid, measure, or deal with it? Sure. So uh, my name's uh, Dave McKenzie. I'm the head of finance at Curve. I've been at Curve for a few months now, but I've been working uh, in fintech really since before people used the word fintech. Uh, I was at a, a company called Prepay Solutions uh, for around about seven years. Um, sort of uh, that was where I cut my teeth really and uh, moved on from there. Spent two years at a, a smaller uh, payment startup called Bankable uh, and then recently joined Curve. So I'm sort of uh, embracing the challenge of joining uh, a company that's really sort of firing the rockets, as it were. Um, uh, and it's it's been an interesting experience um, coming in and really having to get to grips very quickly with cash position. So obviously there's that. And then uh, the unit economics of the business. So uh, how much does it cost us to onboard a user? And then how long does it take to get that that money back in, in revenues and in profits. So uh, I absolutely agree that growth such cash and we keep a very close eye on our user acquisition metrics. And then uh, once those users start using the product, how we can sort of get that back and basically turn that into more growth uh, and managing the, uh, managing the cash position from there. So at the moment, it's mostly equity funded. Um, uh, there's no real uh, debt in the business at the moment, but obviously that's one way you have of sort of combating that sort of uh, cash challenge, if you like, um, but it's not something we're doing at the moment. So if I understood correctly, you are in a growing company and your growth or your business plan is so far programmed to be funded with the equity and you are generating already profits that give you room to go further with your business plan? Yeah, I mean, the challenge that some businesses have in the fintech space, especially in the consumer space, is that um, uh, some products run sort of negative, uh, negative contribution margins. So for every user they onboard, they're actually losing more and more money until they're sort of trying to get to that position of having enough users and having a well-developed product where they can uh, start thinking about revenue, whereas uh, at Curve, we want to, you know, we take a slightly different view. We're, we want more users and we want to improve the product, but we want every user we add to uh, add value to the business. Um, so the view we've taken is that, so that there is spend on, on user acquisition um, in that respect, but we, we think we have approached the challenge better than some of our competitors of, of making sure that we're actually selling a profitable product. Okay, so um, in this uh, situation or this constellation, I assume your major spending for the user acquisition to grow the company is about uh, marketing more than about development, perhaps, or it's, areas. Or yeah, it, it's both. So there, there is some marketing spend. Uh, we do target specific uh, demographics through the, the channels you might expect. Um, but the other thing about growth is you have to be you have to be ready for the growth when it hits. So probably one of our biggest costs is staff, as with most services businesses. We have a lot of software engineers, uh, both building products, building new features, and uh, mm. fixing you know any bugs that come up as normal uh, as the product develops. So um, 
I think part of the challenge with growth is being ready for it when it happens. So uh, it's all very well and good. You know, when you're smaller, you've just got a couple of super talented software engineers writing amazing code. But then if all of a sudden you onboard, you know, tens of thousands of users then or more, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to be ready for that. So, so for me, a big part of the growth is not just um, sort of those uh, unit costs of, of getting people on board. It's, it's building a structure that's ready for the growth because if, if you're not ready, then a lot of companies struggle with sort of, they fire the rockets, they have amazing growth, and then all of a sudden they can't cope with the number of users trying to use the platform both from a, a stability perspective, from a custom services perspective. So um, when I came into Curve, we, we redid we redid the whole budget um, as a as a senior leadership team, uh, really with involvement from all aspects of the business. So it was okay. So our plan is to get to this many users. What does that mean to us in terms of number of customer experience staff that we need? What does that mean to us uh, in terms of support staff, as well as you know how many sort of people do we need to get in to build the product that will that will get us that many users? So. It can't just be focused just around the technology or whatever the product is that you're you're selling. You have to make sure that the whole business is ready for the for the scale up when it happens. Yeah, exactly. So sounds very familiar. Um, keyword budget budgeting business plan, um, yeah. measuring everything you're doing and adapting to real life. So whatever you can imagine in a budget, you have afterwards see what is really happening, what is really coming back. And have you, in your process of uh, budgeting, also set kind of not only the goals and the measures for the strategy you want to follow, but also the um, kind of uh, stop losses if it comes to it? Have you put limits to these, uh, for example, uh, user acquisition metrics? How much are you going to, to lose? How far can you go until you have to say, stop it? And... Um, turn off yeah invent uh, all the strategy in order to not go further into a big or worse hole where you can't go out anymore yeah i mean well as you've already pointed out a budget is only true on the day it's written and then uh, <laughs> then it becomes something else so yeah we do have some some key metrics we track in the business we um we have uh, user retention and usage metrics that we track um as well alongside our profitability metrics. Um, and you're right, there is also, I, I wouldn't say we have a strict sort of, uh, you know, stop point in for um, when we would stop doing something. I think rather what we do is um, it's more iterative. So we, we will make the changes that we've planned. We will then measure the impact of the change either in, in terms of user growth or in terms of the profitability we would expect or, or the specific sort of, KPI that's been attached to that change um, and then we will adapt I mean in, in terms of marketing spend obviously there's a marketing budget but we go beyond that in terms of you know you've got to measure the efficacy of what you're doing so it's all well and good throwing money at marketing performance marketing and those sorts of things but if you're not measuring what they're doing with the money then you may as well you know pour it down the drain um, so Again, alongside the measuring the marketing spend, it's what's the cost per install? What's the, how are people 
flowing through the funnel? Are they turning into end users? And is it is it the users that we want? Are they using the products in the way that we expect? So it's, it's a lot more iterative and it's a lot more data-driven than just having sort of a classic, well, once the losses hit this point, then we, we stop. I think it's, I think certainly the industry that curves in, it, it has to be a, a, the analysis has to be a lot more detailed. It's very difficult to set sort of a hard and fast rule for when you switch and move to something else. So you, you just track your KPIs and see the tendency of them and how to improve or foster them uh, with further investment or rather uh, rerouting uh, where you know where you are getting more benefits. So what about the classical KPIs? You know, they say days inventories outstanding. In your case, and in the case of tackling, we don't have inventories. That's uh, one headache less, fortunately, <laughs> not having goods or, or huge assets um, consuming cash, but you probably have these uh, days receivables outstanding or cash conversion cycles. Do you measure this or is this more um, done intuitively by you uh, controlling cash on a weekly, daily, monthly basis or the 13 weeks? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, the industry we're in, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have to worry about cash being tied up in stock or or, or in anything like that. Um, in payment, sort of, all of those sort of the cash turnover and throughput happens very quickly. Um, sort of, see, so you're not waiting two months to get access to your revenues or or anything like that. It, it's all flowing through quickly. So um, we don't have the sort of risk of non-payment. Um, by our customers that perhaps in other industries you would have. Um, okay. Especially, uh, you know, we're now, we're currently sort of focused more on the consumer market and any revenues that are collected are collected uh, immediately from credit card or debit card. So it's, there's no risk on that side of things. Um, uh, so that for us, the cash is more, Uh, the challenges on our cash flow are more really managing managing that cash burn with regards to user acquisition. And obviously we also have some key suppliers that need to make sure we pay and, and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, we're, we're fortunate not to have cash tied up um, through a sort of long working process uh, channel. It's we make a sale and the money's there. Okay. Have you tried to improve in some way your working capital through um, even granting more promotions to, to your customers to incentivize this prepaying or to incentivize or to bundle suppliers so that you can perhaps get uh, um, paid later? Have you ever counterbalanced the effects of paying sooner to your suppliers against uh, paying less? So having less costs or the other way around, trying so, to pay yeah. a little more, but uh, yeah, so, so, pay, so. yeah, so in the past, uh, in my previous experience, there has had to be times where um, the cash has been tight for one reason or another. And then we sort of look to, uh, yes, you can negotiate with key suppliers to say, Uh, especially if they're sort of a much larger player than you often, uh, especially if you're, if you're sort of, even though you're a smaller client, um, 
sort of companies like to work with fintech so you, you can sort of leverage that relationship to an extent and sometimes suppliers are willing to extend payment terms if you need another couple of weeks um, that's usually doable um, on a more sort of uh, systemic basis um, also looked at sort of having uh, financing deals in place with banks you know what I found is that while some banks uh, sort of it can be challenging sort of because there's a bit more complexity in the the profitability of fintechs. It can be challenging to talk to them to get lending set up, but then there are some sort of very technology positive banks that understand the sort of um, the way the cash flows work when you're making a tech or a fintech product and are willing to set up those sort of facilities um, that if you need the, the short-term financing, um, that, it, that it's available to you. So uh, we have looked at those sort of things. I, I've never, in the past, I've never gone down the route of offering um, better payment terms for early payment to um, clients. Um, I'd rather achieve that through sort of proper enforcement of payment terms rather than having to give discounts for companies doing something they should be doing mm. anyway. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to be paid late when you're, there's been an ongoing discussion and it's another thing to be paid late and have the, uh, you, you know, your, your client just completely shut off all contact, which is something I've had to deal with before. Um, and it becomes more challenging once you get into a situation with too many doing that. But what I found is that as long as you keep those relationships um, on an ongoing basis and you, you make sure you enforce the payment terms that, that are in the contract and those sorts of things that generally you tend to have much less problems than when you sort of, if you, if you slack off and you don't chase for payment, that's often when you can end up with, you know, all of a sudden you, you're waiting another month or two months to get the cash. Um, I, I feel like those things can be well managed as long as you keep in constant contact with them. Yeah. So sure, I'm, I'm completely agree to the point that uh, to customers and also linked to technology companies that uh, operate uh, online and are e-commerce are, are used to get money beforehand because all these payment methods available in the market, uh, credit cards and all these uh, systems to prevent fraud or to check that the cards are really existing or that there are funds is more or less common and for little services or little things like for some what we have in tackling shipping if you just make a shipment of five to ten euros or maximum 20 euros if you go um, for an international european shipment you pay in advance that's no problem so we also have a very low account receivables or zero only in the b2b sector uh, but is there, this comes to the next question, do you think there is a relationship uh, between uh, more liquid or cash effective businesses and profitability? Does it mean that you have less profitability or that you have to renounce to uh, margins if, you're, if you get to the money immediately and have less risk in bad debts? And... I, I think it probably, that's probably very different depending on what sort of market you're operating in. Um, I feel like sort of the, the space I work in, there's probably, there's not really a clear link between 
the liquidity and um, the profitability. But I can certainly see that in in some cases there may be sort of sometimes cash flow is used to uh, improve relationships or you know improving cash flow can only come as a, a factor of being at a large scale where you're able to operate if you're manufacturing where you're able to operate on just in time and, and those sorts of things um but i, I would say for me in, in technology I, I think there's um if, if the product is right people should be willing are usually willing to pay for it and they're usually willing to pay on time uh, which yeah. is probably not so much the case for sort of more uh i guess commodity type products i think if you're if you're selling a new product that's different that that no one else has um which sort of in the scale up sector you would that's the sort of businesses you mostly expect to see you know companies that are doing something a bit differently. Um, I, I don't see the need for that link. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. But uh, in my opinion, there is a point uh, related to the liquidity that is cost of capital, that also it can impact your um, profit or loss for the year. It's not EBTA, it's after EBTA, it's your cost of capital, your interest, even your opportunity cost in your case, if you only have equity. But uh, it's something to take into account that if you are liquid enough and you don't need to get the finance outside, you can put this savings in cost of capital or financing costs into, the mar into your margins or out of the mar your margins. You know, the other question about should we go for growth or should we go for margins? I think all startups have come to the point how much should we spend in getting more users or more revenues if they are not profitable in, profitable enough as long as you have if you are as you are funded and have equity you can continue growing and when it comes time you will be in the position to to really be more efficient at the end if you have plenty of funds you normally will spend and try a lot of things and being prepared to pay more for things that you are not going to do if you are already at zero or yeah. negative capitals or or even losing money and have the pressure to go through these um phases that the companies has to to face and i think they are positive because even being stressful uh, they bring you a lot forward concentrating on what's really essential and um, I think you are more efficient when you have uh, less money than, than when you don't have to look at them. Yeah, scarcity breeds uh, hunger, as someone once told me. So yeah, when when you have to really when you have to really you know work for it when the pressure's on, I think yeah, I think it's always easy to spend money when you have it, uh, yeah. and then when it's not. <laughs> And when it's not there anymore, then then you have to tighten the belt. But um, I think certainly what I found is as long as you have a, a real good handle on uh, your cash flow, what your profitability really looks like, and what that will look like when you scale, you should be able to measure your runway, and you should really, you know, th there should never really be any surprises, um, you know, uh, and that sort of. I mean, have have you had to deal with any challenges where sort of the cash has got tight, and then how did you sort of how do you 
have you found your way out of that? And um, yes, I had a, a very distressed situation in, in Rasmus in Germany because um, the company was uh, bearing um, a huge burden from a previous acquisition where the, the loan was, uh, had been put over the operating company. And it came to a more difficult time where the growth was not expected and the profits were not expected. So the cash generation was not um, sufficient for the lenders and uh, it came to a restructuring and renegotiating with uh, a lot of bankers okay. for this huge loan because it had to be pushed into the future. And the way of improving there was um, through inventories, uh, tracking the inventory turnover, also the cash conversion cycle, and um, trying to get out more of the um, suppliers is paying anticipated or the other way around. Not ante anticipating the money, but, um, but paying later. So inventory has a very positive thing that is it can convert it to cash whenever you need it. Even losing a little bit of margin if you uh, run a promotion over it and you can, you can go faster for money. Sure. Um, but on the other hand, you have obviously uh, less margins if you if you start with promotions. No, that's clear. So uh, yes, it was. And also in tackling, uh, we went uh, through a not tight situation, but a situation where we had to readjust and say stop spending where we really don't need it, um, and uh, concentrate on on profitability rather than on growth. Mm. Because we were already having so many users uh, and not these users not generating all the profits they should. And and therefore we, we reviewed a couple of things. But my last question would be, who is doing the cash and who is, uh, who is in charge of all these uh, KPIs? Is it only you, is it you? sufficiently involved and is there a, enough transparency and visibility to this king KPI that is uh, cash and uh, cash burning or cash generating? So, I mean, the, the responsibility is really, it's shared between me and the, the CEO. Um, uh, and, and we have to own that and we have to, you know, every month we have to justify what's happened. And if we make a, a decision that, uh, involves spending more money, you know, there can be good reasons for that, um, but you have to be able to, like I said before, you have to be able to measure what you've done. Um, we don't like, uh, we don't really like to operate on sort of gut instinct. That may be how you, you come up with an idea, but then when you execute it, it, it needs to be, it needs to be measurable. And um, I think we then sort of filter that out. So although the ultimate responsibility um, uh, lies with the two of us we can then um, if we if we make a change if we decide to do something then the responsibility for making sure that money is spent correctly is is on um, is on the team it's on whichever team is, is spending the money you know um, uh, my view on the finance function is it's not sort of a little team that sits in the corner of the office head down at, at the laptop it, it works with the business and also everyone in the business works for finance or in finance. Um, so 
you should be able to share those responsibilities for um, measuring the KPIs and um, sort of justifying what's what's happened. It's not just the responsibility of the finance team. It's not just my responsibility. It's the responsibility of everyone in the business to understand um, how the company makes money. And if we if we do something to change that, then the the team also needs to own that change and measure that change. Yeah, yeah. Very often, CFOs are just the messengers, <laughs> no, with the with the conclusions or with the outcomes of, of the initiatives yeah. that have been decided commonly. Um. So I don't know. Uh, would you like to tell me also? What uh, would you implement to safeguard or protect the company? Probably already said in, in your uh, answers that how would you, um, yes, protect or safeguard a company in an expansion phase of getting into um, this situation? Yeah, I mean, so I think we've probably touched on most of the points uh, already. Yeah. I think it, a lot of it comes down to relationship management with all of the different stakeholders. So uh, if you have um, a large accounts receivable uh, balance, you know, that tells you something. If you have a large, uh, you know, having the debt facility available with your bank, you know, keeping your bank with the board. So um, obviously Curves, major investors sit on the board and every month we, we talk to them about the cash position, uh, the financials, what's coming up, you know, has the, has, how has the forecast changed from last month? So I, I think ultimately everything boils down to the information and relationship management. If you, if you keep all of the relevant parties informed, um, I mean, ultimately uh, some of it will inevitably come down to uh, how the business performs and people in the business need to own that. But as long as you have managed the relationships and you have, you know, you've protected yourself as well as you can. You make sure there's financing available if, if possible. If you make sure that you, you know, you have uh, maybe some suppliers that you've arranged favorable payment terms with, if things get, things get tight, they understand your business. If your accounts receivables are in, are in order, if mm -hmm. you, you know, it, it really comes down to um, keeping your eye on the ball more than anything else. So it's all about trust, exactly yes. the same when, <laughs> when, when funding is also the same. If you can sell your product properly and they trust you, you will get the money to, to do everything. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Trust, trust comes from performance. So if you, if you can perform, then you generate trust. Exactly. And cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a great yeah. conversation. And, you know, we talk about you being the heroes. And uh, one, of my, one of my heroes is James Bond. But most people are focused on James Bond and people aren't looking at Money Penny. And what I think after hearing this is that the real heroes are like Money Penny and like Dave and, and here, like you, Noelia, who are behind the scenes, you're at the switchboard. You are the ones that are seeing the data that comes in while everybody else is in their Austin Martins and they're going around shooting up, you know, and, and having all of the, the front line of it. But the finance really is the money penny. I mean, in her name even is penny, right? She's counting the pennies behind. And so 
it makes me think of you two as these superior officers of the different heroes that are out there, like the CEO and these people. And that's an important part to play. One thing that I saw as a real theme is this idea of planning so that you're not surprised and then actively measuring because a budget is only accurate on the day that it is made. And then that gives you the ability to manage it. And I think for some people, finance is just uh, the thing that they know they need to deal with, but they don't want to look at it because they might just be looking at what's in their, their actual bank account. But it's a lot deeper than that. And so to have money pennies behind the scene, to be counting the pennies and clearly communicating that throughout, especially in a growth phase, because from hearing <laughs> when growth comes, it just can mess everything up in a good way or a bad way, right? It either sucks the cash or it brings the cash in. And especially in this scale up phase where you might have equity uh, to carry you through, but at the same time, you can't lose the focus of what is the KPI? What is the individual cost of the user? And how do you actually monetize that? So I feel like you are the heroes behind the scenes pulling the puppeteering between the, the front facing figures uh, that might get more credit, but I think credit comes where credit's due. And that's you guys pinching the pennies behind the scenes. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much, <laughs> I think. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, do you feel like, uh, like the, f the ability to grow and scale from a financial standpoint, it takes this team, but it takes somebody who's, who's looking at the metrics, who's looking at the dollars, who's looking at these rates of money coming in uh, where everybody else just seems to be really focused on driving the business, but you're able to sort of give them the updates over the secret walkie-talkie watches and let them know what they can and can't do. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of more behind that because it's, uh, it's uh, for one hand, yes, the tracking is where you see the whole company from a finance point of view. Um, finance people are normally in the middle of the company <laughs> and have a view or interface with the rest of the departments, because you know what's happening in marketing, what's happening in sales, what's happening in customer service, what's happening in depth, and how much you're spending or you want to spend, and whether it is or not monetizing. Um, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, I've met CEOs that were obsessed with cash and other CEOs that are not so, um, are more from the marketing or from the commercial side and just delegate everything. But at the end, uh, everything is cash, as you say, money, penny. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, if there is no cash, there is no growth, no real growth opportunity. Um, so can you think about a real growth, a real big step of a company without sufficient cash? No. The only thing you can do is little things with your own breath or your own muscle. And this is sometimes too tiny. So tell investors that uh, an investor telling you that you need too much money is to great, generate a great opportunity. If you don't get the money, you don't go to a big opportunity. So mm, you probably know this um, phrase like too, too big to fail. And so many companies with negative working capital and so huge investments like Amazon, they are already generating so much money. It doesn't matter if they're not really profitable. Amazon is, by the way, but uh, Spotify or um, Zalando, Airbnb. There are so many startups that have injected a lot of cash to be big. And um, 
yeah, it's about controlling the cash and and uh, making it work for you. So I have a question for both of you, and this is how we like to sum things up. If you were to give advice to your younger self, what would that piece of advice be, particularly when it comes to finances, uh, having this inside scoop for companies that are scaling up? So maybe, Dave, we can have you let us know what your advice is to your younger self, your younger money penny. <laughs> uh, keep a cooler head, uh, perhaps. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it can be easy to get lost in the details sometimes and lose sight of the big picture um, and sort of just get stuck in your in your finance corner, sort of analyzing some really sort of complicated or, or interesting facet of the business and or focusing on one part of the business. But actually, uh, it's really about being able to take an overall view of everything that's going on and be able to get into the detail when needed, but don't get lost in the weeds. That's what I'd say. I like it. And Noelia, how about you to, to finish this up here? What is the best piece of advice you will give to your younger self, which we will all adopt and be more financially solvent because of it? <laughs> no, I, pressure, would, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No, no, no. I would say um, think big. Think big. Budget properly. Plan properly. And go to this budget and to these initiatives and measures step by step, so that you can you cannot do <laughs> or turn or refocus, rebudget, and rethink uh, all your topics and and issues uh, prior to a big disease. But think big and get for a big opportunity, and don't be afraid of burning cash for a while. It's you are tracking properly. You will see in your KPIs that you will monetize and get it back. All right. So what I'm hearing is that you've got to think big. You've got to keep a cool head. You've got to budget, scale, and then burn cash in baby steps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, well, it was so fun having you guys on. I look forward to connecting with you. And maybe if you need some high energy speaker to come get your troops motivated, uh, I'd be happy to come fly wherever you are and whatnot. But it sounds like you guys are the people who are the cool heads thinking big behind the scenes in order for it to scale up. So we're excited to have you. Uh, it's been a lot of great info. And anybody, if you're watching this now, this is just a taste of the Scale Up Heroes. And you can see all these episodes on scaleupacademy.io. We encourage you to think big and burn money and baby steps. <laughs> here's, to, here's to everyone's success. Uh, and at the end of the day, what gets measured gets managed. All right, guys. Well, we will see you soon. Say goodbye. Bye.